welcome to the My Curious Colleague podcast with your host, me, Denise Veneri. We'll be talking all things consumer relations with a focus on consumer product goods organizations and the brand specialist and analyst roles and responsibilities. So if you like CPGs, like I like CPGs, marketing, insights, and caring deeply for your consumers, well, take a listen. Well, hello, my curious colleagues. This is six in our series of conversations exploring that intersection between consumer relations function with other cross-functional groups within your organization in the hopes of effectively building better communication, collaboration, which will ultimately help you care for your consumer more deeply. In this episode, my guest is my colleague, Carolyn Neighbor, a former quality executive who I've lured out of retirement to chat with us today. Carolyn is a food industry professional with over 25 years of experience in quality assurance, food safety, regulatory, product development, and wait for it, consumer affairs. Her work history includes Campbell Soup Company, and that is where I first met Carolyn, Brown and Haley, Starbucks, Well Pet, Boston Beer, and Sanopto. What's interesting is that each of these companies were in a different stage of their life cycle, which really helped give Carolyn an opportunity to grow within, say, a well-structured environment and then take that experience and leverage it to help other companies grow. So, hi, Carolyn. So happy you're here on the podcast today. Hi, Denise. It's been a while. It has. It's been quite a while. Yeah. What's interesting to me about your background is that you have that point of view of a quality executive and consumer care leader. Yes. Yeah. Which I feel is, you know, a little bit unique in terms of maybe my experience working with folks. Um, and I had mentioned we worked together at Campbell Soup Company and in full, full transparency, you were my boss and really our um, thought leader and point of contact with the quality organization and tracking those quality topics. I think I was a little bit more on the new product side. Yeah. Right. Right. New products. Definitely. Yep. Um, So let's just start off right at the top with sharing some tips with our audience. Okay. Sure. Sure. Uh, I I think probably the first and most important thing from my perspective as a quality professional is as a consumer affairs person to learn as much as you possibly can about the manufacturing process. And a good, well-structured company should have formal training programs for the consumer affairs people. And with companies who aren't necessarily that far along in their journey, I would definitely recommend that either the manager of consumer affairs or the people themselves in the department take it upon themselves to learn as much as they can about the manufacturing process. Because, for example, uh, in going back to my experience in the brewing industry, if someone calls and says, my beverage is flat, there could be several different reasons why a beverage would be flat. For example, it could be damage in the, if it's a bottle, the capping process. If the product's not capped all the way, then 
uh, carbon dioxide, which is what makes the fizz in the beverage, um, that it could be a problem with the capping and therefore the CO2 would be let out. It could also be the delivery of the CO2 to actually carbonate the beverage, um, or it could be just an improper seal at the capping, or even as further back in the process when you're generating a good deal of the CO2 in the brewing process. So someone who doesn't understand that wouldn't be able to do the probing questions with the consumer to try and say, you know, when you opened up the bottle, do you remember hearing a pop? Um, that kind of stuff. And also obviously getting the information off of the bottle to make sure that if there is some something that went wrong that day, um, the quality assurance department would be able to go and research it. Boy, that's a juicy tip. I hadn't even thought of that. Um, so it sounds like just to recap, get your foot, get your foot, get your feet <laughs> into a plant if you can and have someone, you know, really let you see it in action. And if you can't do that, um, a formal process, um, just, you know, virtually or some sort of like sharing of knowledge, because I agree with you, it really puts those consumer comments into context. Um, when you go to analyze those and guide the call center in terms of, okay, what should you be probing on? So I, I love that tip. I asked for two tips, but I'll settle with just that one for now. <laughs> okay. Yeah. That was a nice long answer. Sorry. <laughs> um, but you touched on a really good thing and that is that, you know, understanding who your co who your colleagues are in that cross-functional team really, you know, goes a long way for a, a variety of reasons. And so let's talk a little bit more about the quality teams and what are some of the key elements and, and responsibilities of the quality teams? And often the plants report up to the quality teams or a dotted line. Um, I do know that quality sets the specification. So those specification ranges, that much I know. So I'm hoping maybe you can share a little bit more and maybe even one that consumer relations may not be aware of that that might be helpful. Sure, sure. So in terms of the QA role, um, actually, when a product is first developed, it's actually the product development team that sets the initial specifications. And then it's up to the quality assurance team to uh, enforce those specifications. But then what happens is, uh, in terms of the product development process, and this definitely also varies from large companies to small companies, or even just companies that are um, not willing to put a product out there that they're not exactly sure is going to go well or not. For example, like a big soup company is going to be way more conservative and want to get a lot more research out before they put a product out. And uh, a company that's got like a shorter life cycle of product in the market might, might be more daring. Um, and I say that because specifications are consumer driven. So the quality assurance department may take an initial spec and realize that consumers want to go in a little bit different direction and therefore you have to change the spec and the product might need to be modified accordingly. But back to what quality assurance does. So um, quality assurance is really kind of two separate things. There's quality control, which is on the plant floor, a lot of times automated things like fill weights, where you've got something that's measuring every single bottle or can that goes across 
a conveyor belt. That's quality control. Quality assurance is taking that information, compiling it, and making trends to try and figure out whether the specifications are being met on a broader basis and whether something needs to change. Got it. What else? And obviously, consumer data is a is a very big part of that because if the consumer's not uh, is not accepting a new product as it is, for example, you've got a um, a beer that's supposed to be hoppy and um, clear, and the consumer says it's not hoppy enough. Well, then we might want to change the formula. And that is because of the consumer data that we've received and then shared with our R&D and quality assurance teams. Right, right. Um, and of course, you know, if only it was that easy. Um, other organizations, maybe larger, that's more complex in the organization structure. You know, you might have to bring in marketing and finance and make sure everything works out uh, sure. to, make, to make that happen as well. But um yeah, love that. Is is there maybe a responsibility that um, another responsibility that I can get wrong? I know I had said that quality <laughs> the specs, but um, they they enforce it. So what else does quality do, Carolyn? Maybe is it shelf studies, or is that product development again? So what else does quality do? You know what? You know what? Um, I've been in companies where shelf life studies are part of product development, and I've been in companies where shelf life studies are part of quality assurance. And you also have things like before and after opening shelf life. So if you can imagine a multi-use container, like one of those boxes of broth, you've got a shelf life that is anywhere between nine and 12 months on the shelf in the supermarket or in your pantry. But then you've got another shelf life once you open that cap. And that is a lot more about microbiological stability Okay. Then necessarily the product tasting good. So the product tasting good is more on the before opening shelf life and after opening shelf life, it's all about spoilage. So that's something where the quality assurance department really plays a more active role because you need a microbiologist to test the product each day after opening in various scenarios. So pro tip there, thanks for sharing that, is if you go to have a new product and you're working on the FAQs, marketing doesn't know what the before and after opening shelf life, you know where to find that information with your with your buddies over in quality. It's a good point. And you know what? That is a very, that's a top comment often uh, for a lot of these types of products that are, you know, sensitive. So really the intent of the reason code hierarchy is to really be able to bucket those consumer comments in a way that allows for ease of reporting by yourself, say, or folks in the quality organization. So let's let's stay with this topic. I know it's one of your passions, at least when we work together. Sure. Um, and maybe share some thoughts about, you know, successfully setting up a hierarchy and then how to maintain that it continues to remain relevant to those quality stakeholders. Yeah, sure. So, um at the very highest level, you have, and I'm sure anyone who is a consumer affairs professional listening to this will absolutely know that you've got your three main buckets, and those are complaints, inquiries, and praise. And there might be others depending on what kind of company that you're at. And obviously, the quality assurance department is the most interested in complaints. So I'm going to focus there. 
and basically saying things like, uh, and again, this is going to depend on what kind, what kind of product you have, because obviously we're talking food products here. And so taste is not going to be uh, part of the hierarchy if you're dealing in something that's not food. So assuming that we're talking about food, uh, things like taste, consistency, color would be really important. Things like foreign material, that is a big one. And that's a bucket that is super important to the quality assurance department because um, reasons for food safety, you've got food safety issues, and then you've got um, issues that we call quality issues, but they're more consumer preference issues. So you have something like, uh, my product is too thin. That could be a consumer preference issue. It could also be a quality assurance issue. And here's where gathering as much information from the consumer as you can, having them say, do you have the product with you? Can you read to me the UPC code? Can you give me the manufacturing code? Having a system, and I'm sure not all consumer affairs professionals have the benefit of having a really nice um, system where they can enter all the data, but the better the system, the better the reporting. So, you know, what they say, like good in, good out, garbage in, garbage out. It's great to be able to get all the information that you can, but if something that's like the letter J represents a manufacturing plant and we can't compile that and do some kind of reporting on it, it's kind of useless for the QA department. So that's probably a discussion for another day in terms of like, you know, what kind of computer programs people use um, software and such. But going back to getting the um, manufacturing code information is super important because back to that, I think this product is too thin. It could be preference. It could be someone who eats this product all day not long and notices that something's different. And when we do reporting on something like that, if we all of a sudden see that same product, same manufacturing date, similar time, we start getting many complaints, then we have an issue. Okay. And we're going to talk about that type of report, which is just as a sneak preview, the threshold reporting. But let me just stay with our our uh, reason code hierarchy for a second. How, how do you continue to have the quality organization you know, aligned with you on what those complaints, you know, look like in the hierarchy and, and which ones are created. And Yeah. So for example, a lot of this, a lot of this happens when you change something or whether when you add a new product. Yeah. So going back to um, a brewing scenario, we have a product that we didn't necessarily like having hazy beers is something that is new for um, certain companies, a lot of, a lot of places or the, some of the places that didn't necessarily brew that kind of stuff before all of a sudden they're brewing these hazy beers. Now you've got sediment that winds up laying on the bottom of a bottle. And that's something that we didn't capture before. And a lot of people start saying this and we don't have a reason code for it. And you start noticing when you look at verbatims and not just look at the reason codes, you see, Oh, wait a minute. This doesn't really belong here. I think we need to create a new reason code. And then you also have to make sure that that reason code follows with the hierarchy to make sure it goes into consistency and not in some other place where it might not be picked up by a quality person. Yeah. So in that scenario, you're the consumer affairs person seeing that the verbatims 
are heading in a different direction and you're reaching out to quality or vice versa, I would say. Yeah. I mean, in my past, I've had weekly meetings and in some cases, daily meetings with the heads of consumer affairs as a new product rolls out. And we're we're looking at verbatims and looking at recent codes together. And we're saying, is this appropriate? Is this not appropriate? Yeah. I like that level of dedication. Uh, Carolyn was my boss and uh, <laughs> tough cookie when it comes to the verbatims and just process and uh, all the things we love about Carolyn. Um, we're going to get back to that threshold reporting, you know, talk about reporting a little bit more. So take us through the importance of this threshold reporting, which you sort of started to define when you're looking at comments through the batch code and kind of bucketing by plan and UPC and manufacturing date. So tell us a little bit about that, why it's important, maybe how you used it. Yeah, yeah. So going back to the example that we said before, where you've got a consistency issue that in this case, we'll say happened because something went wrong at the manufacturing plant. In that case, what I had said was you've got the same issue, the same product, the same manufacturing date and a similar time. And we have a develop, we have a report that we've developed that's called a, mon- a multiple occurrence report, which automatically flags for the quality assurance department when you've got three or more matches of same product, same code, and same reason. So, and it's also time-based. It can't be over three years. It's got to be in a pretty short period of time. And when, when you really have an issue and, and it, it depends on, again, the type of product that you're dealing with and how quickly it flows through the market, but generally it's a 12 week period. And each week, you know, one week, the, the oldest week falls off and then you add a new week on. Yeah. And it's a report that you run that's very good. And what, what happens is it triggers an investigation if something shows up on that report. Sometimes it's nothing, um, but the investigation, it's, it triggers. So it's, it's consumer affairs driven. And the report is generally something that, you know, talk about cross-functional teams is generally developed by someone in the IT world. And then the, the report is generally given either via email or a portal to the quality assurance department. Every time something comes up on that report, the quality assurance department say, hey, says, hey, this is going on. We're going to research this. And then they go and research and determine whether it's valid or not. And whether and when it is valid and it's something that we don't want in the market because it really doesn't represent our product, yeah. then we can take steps to get the product out of the market. Right, right. Or if you find out that it ends up being alternately a design issue, let's say, Carolyn. And you could, yeah, and you can still want to get that product off the market if, if we think that consumers really aren't going to be happy with it. And that's not something that's a recall situation. And we're getting into, you know, quality assurance stuff that um, is probably something that consumer affairs people would really want to understand. Because when someone's taking something off the market for uh, consumer preference purposes. It's way different than food safety because you've got product liability and stuff. So the consumer affairs people understanding that language is really important. Right, right. And I know that we've gotten a little bit off topic, but I definitely do want to, I mean, not, you know, off topic when we're talking about thresholds, but that's a super important one. We've also got trending by category. Okay. So understanding whether we are, 
having a product that's good for color purposes, that's good for consistency purposes, um, making sure that we're meeting our specifications in whatever those specs are set for. Um, those are the categories that we want to make sure that we trend on. And the big thing that I like to do is a three-month rolling trend. So it takes out a lot of the noise of the ups and downs and you get a nice smooth line. And typically that's a monthly report. And then for business purposes, uh, every, I think every company I've worked for wants to do a monthly business review or I, I'm sorry, a quarterly business review. And when you have your quarterly business reviews, you really want to show your trending for, for key uh, consumer acceptance criteria there too. Right. So having quarterly reports that shows year over year. Um, and then obviously uh, yearly reports too. How did we do for the full year? And then what you can do is you can take those and say, all right, well, this is how we did this year. We're not sure that we like these numbers here and we want to put goals together for the quality assurance department, for the manufacturing departments to say, we want to reduce this X, Y, or Z, like a foreign material complaint by X percent. So the manufacturing and quality assurance groups are going to put goals together, lots of times bonus goals, um, to reduce those numbers. And then the consumer affairs department helps us to compile the numbers to see how we're doing. Yeah, that partnership is so critical for, Absolutely. for that, that piece of it. So valuable. Um, okay, so you mentioned two two or three reports in there. Any any other reports that you can think of that are more, um, well, the, the quarterly business report, you know, could serve both the marketing and the quality assurance. Uh, Absolutely. Calders for sure. Um, but if you, if you think of any other, um, do you have any other reports you wanted to share? Yes, there, there are other reports that are super important. Denise, you are definitely very familiar with the new products report. There's also things like when you have a change in the manufacturing process, a manufacturing change report, you can call it. And that could be anything from a new or change, a significant change in the manufacturing process. Adding a new plant location is super important or adding a new supplier and making sure that we're keyed in on those changes and that we're tracking anything having to do with issues that may come up with those kind of changes. Or, you know, if you have no changes at all and everything's smooth sailing, then you're great. And then it's the, it's the responsibility of the manufacturing and quality teams to prepare the consumer affairs people for those changes. So before a new supplier comes online, before a change happens, what we want to do is sit down with the consumer affairs team and make sure that we have in advance prepared uh, new reason codes. You always will have to have a new reason code when you have a new supplier or a new plant location. You have to pick a code for that. Um, and then also make sure that the consumer affairs people are prepared with responses in advance so that people will say, oh, well, that's a code I've never seen before that people probably won't necessarily know that, but some people do. And then you just have to say, oh yeah, that's a new, that's a new manufacturing location and it's an X, Y, or Z location. Yeah. Are those people, the brand ambassadors on the phone or consumers in this scenario? Consumers, consumers. Okay. Some consumers are super, super like you change anything and, and they oh, see that, it and they'll call about it. 
Yeah, that much I, I definitely know. I mean, in your example, when you say new supplier, you're thinking like a new co-manufacturing facility, or are you thinking of like an ingredient supplier? I was thinking, yeah, when I said manufacturing plant, that's what I was talking about, a new location. And with okay. new supplier, I was thinking new either ingredient suppliers, packaging suppliers. Yeah. No, they're good nuances. Absolutely. And again, yes. saying lockstep with quality is the best way to find out about those. Yeah. Uh, I mean, and I'll give, I'll just give one quick example. If you've got a new supplier for a box, let's say, and you've got cool artwork on this box, but it's very shiny. It's a very shiny box. And you're trying to put a coat on that box. And if the code goes on and it smears every time, you can't get a manufacturing code. And then the manufacturing people have to make some tweaks to the either the, the box itself um, or usually a space within that box where you don't have printing to make sure that you're going to get a really good inkjet code on the box. Yeah. And you can stay track, keep, and you can keep track of that, especially like with verb, especially with reason codes, like cannot read code or, you know, just yeah, or no, no code. Yeah. No code, you know, looking at your data uh, through the consumer affairs can even provide guidance in that situation. You know, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Very rich. And thank you so much for taking time out of your busy Saturday to uh, chat with me, Carolyn. Absolutely. Yeah. Really appreciate it. If you've learned even a kernel of an idea or was inspired by this episode, please consider rating and reviewing the podcast on Apple Podcast. Be sure to share out the hashtag CPGCX because CPGCX really and truly rocks. You have been listening to the My Curious Colleague podcast with Denise Veneri. Thank you for your time.